So what we're going to be doing tonight is actually celebrating a Jewish holiday called the Passover. And why are we celebrating a Jewish holiday? Because that's what Jesus did the night before he died. They, said, they went to an upper room in Jerusalem, and they did what was called the Last Supper. The Last Supper was not just about eating, it was about the Passover. And we're going to do what's called the Passover Seder. The word Seder is a Hebrew word that means order, because there's an order for everything that we're going to do. And the first thing that happens is usually one of the youngest people, usually that's me, but tonight I found somebody younger, <laughs> reads four questions that we're going to answer tonight. So Ashton, you're going to read the four questions. Why is it that on all other nights during the year we eat either bread or matzah, but on this night we eat only matzah? Why is it that on all other nights we eat all kinds of herbs, but on this night we eat only bitter herbs? Why is it that on all other nights we do not dip our herbs even once, but on this night we dip them twice? Why is it that on all other nights we eat either sitting or reclining, but on this night we eat in a reclining position? Amen. Let's have a big hand for Ashton tonight. Thank you. And he just asked four questions that we're going to answer, but I'm going to answer the last one right now. It says, on all other nights, people can eat either sitting up or they could, like, recline or lay around at the table. But on the Passover, people reclined. They made themselves comfortable. That's why it says the disciples who were with Jesus, they reclined at the table. And there was a reason for that. Because back in the ancient times, if you were a slave or a servant, you had to always be sitting up ready to serve. But you know what Jesus said? I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. And because you're a friend of God, you can have peace tonight. You can be at leisure tonight. The power of slavery is broken. Because the holiday of Passover that we're going to talk about, it's all about going back thousands of years to a time when the Jewish people, the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt. And by a series of judgments or miracles, God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage, into the promised land. He brought them into a place of freedom. And why do we celebrate that? Because if you've got Jesus in your heart, then God has done the same thing for you. God brought you out of a place of slavery to sin. A place where, see, the Bible says if you don't know Jesus, that you are a slave to sin. Sin has power over you. Addictions have power over you. Anger has power over you. But you have been set free 
If you've got Jesus, you've got the Spirit of God working in you, and you have become free in him. So the same process that the Israelites went through is the same process that we all go through when we find Jesus. Now, all of you, you should have a cup of grape juice. When I was a kid, they didn't use grape juice. They used a Manischewitz wine. I grew up Jewish. By the end of the night, I was laying all over the place when I was eight years old. But thank God I don't do that anymore. Now we use grape juice. So this is what we're going to do. Usually the Jewish people, they have four cups, but we, but we don't have four cups, so we gave you one cup. So this one cup has to last for four cups. So I'm going to ask you not to drink at all when we get to the part of drinking the cups, but just take a sip. There are four cups of the Passover, each one of which Jesus, Jesus took the night before he died. And the first cup is called the cup of sanctification. There's a fancy word, but you need to know it. The word sanctification means that you have been set apart from God, by God, into holiness. God has made you holy, no matter where you've come from, no matter what happened in your past. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have, you have been made holy. He has purified your hands. So the Bible says you can lift up holy hands to God. He has touched your lips. Maybe you've cursed, you've torn people up with your words. But when God touched you, he purified your mouth so that you can serve him, so you can speak his word, so that you can worship him. See, in the Old Testament... It was different. They used to have different days that was considered holy. And people still argued, should we worship on Saturday or Sunday? Which one is the holy day? People just wore certain clothes for certain, oh no, this suit, this is for the holy, this, this is my holy suit. But see, God never cared about days and suits. God cares about people, and God took the Israelites, he set them apart, and gave them his word, gave them his law. And God has done something even better for us. He has taken you out of the world, out of your mess. And, and now, the Bible says in Timothy, you are a vessel fit for the master's use. No matter what you've done, because, of, because you've been sanctified, you can serve him. You can worship him. You are set apart, and there's another word in the Bible for that. It's called a saint. See, some of you might think that a saint is a statue in the Catholic Church, but that's not what a saint is. A saint is an ordinary, everyday nobody that God has called, and he will use you. 
He loves you. He has blessed you. And that's what sanctification is. So we're going to take this cup. Remember, you're not going to drink the whole thing. And I'm, I'm, let's just thank God right now. Father, we thank you that you have set us apart, oh God. We have sinned against you. We have rebelled against your word, oh God. But Father, you, you have taken us and made us you have given us pure hearts and holy hands, oh God. And we thank you today in Jesus' name. Let's drink the first cup in giving thanks to God. Okay, now we're going to get to the next part. We're, this is all group activity today. So this isn't like a regular service where you just sit and watch. This is the one you can participate. It's like I used to be a teacher for preschool, and we did what's called object lessons. The kids did things in order to learn. Well, that's what this is. You're doing things in order to learn. God put that in. See, and so the next part, my daughter Margot is going to help me, and the ushers are going to help me. They have something to pass out. But all of you on your plate should have one of these green pieces of parsley. Green parsley symbolizes life. It symbolizes blessing. It symbolizes prosperity. See, God brought the Jewish people out of slavery and he prospered them. He gave them new life and God has done the same for you, for, the, for his people. For those who love Jesus, God will bless you. He will give you prosperity. He will bring new life into your home. But see, there was a time, looking back, when the Jewish people were slaves and they shed tears. Life was difficult. It was harsh. So here's what the Jewish people do as a symbol. They take this parsley, which symbolizes life and blessing, and they dip it into salt water. Why? Because salt water tastes like tears. Why does God want us to do that? Because he wants us to remember that there are many out there who, who are still lost. Many tonight who don't have hope. All through these buildings and houses, people who are, are abused, people who don't know Jesus tonight, and they are weeping, they are lost. And, and God wants us to remember them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin to pass around the salt water, and it doesn't taste good, but it doesn't matter, because that's what this is about. As we're passing it around, I want you to dip the green in and just taste it. And as that's happening, let God put on your heart one life that you need to touch. See, that's what, that's what reaching people for Jesus is about. It's just about loving the one in front of you. So as we're doing that, Margot's going to share. First, I'm going to read Luke chapter 16, verse 25. 
It says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. See, there's enough to weep about the rest of our lives, thinking about all the drug addicts out there, all the people that don't know Jesus, about the prostitutes that don't realize what they're worth. I could sit here and cry so many tears the rest of my life, but that can't compare to the brokenness of the Lord's heart because people are going to suffer in hell forever. See, this life is a, a vapor. 70 years of pain and agony, that's nothing. That's nothing. That's a little drop, barely a drop in the bucket compared to eternal hell, eternal suffering and agony, the place where the worm never dies, where the flame never dies out. It's a horrible place. I wish, I pray that nobody goes there. And the Lord wants to awaken our hearts. He wants to awaken the bride right now. Break our hearts with the things that break his heart. Because people are lost. They don't know God. There's a wall of separation. You see, they might look happy right now. They might be getting all their material things, big houses. But who cares? Again, this life is a vapor. And it's about eternity. And so I pray that we become eternity conscious, that we will remember that it's not about this place here on earth, but it's about eternity. Are they going to go to heaven or hell? Remember that when you see them at your job. Remember that. Remember the eternal tears, not just the tears that they grow through here on this earth. And so as we take in the, the salt water with the herbs, I pray that God begins to break your heart. I pray that the Lord would begin to overtake you with his conviction power that we need to go out there and reach souls to bring the lamb the glory that he deserves, the rewards of his sufferings. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did on the cross for every single person out there, every Muslim, every Jewish person, every Buddhist out there, every atheist. And we call them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. We call them in now in the name of Jesus. And we say it's time for a revival to overtake New York City. In the name of Jesus, we declare that it's time for the heavens to break open in the streets, to break open in Manhattan, to break open in Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, Staten Island. It's time for a move of God. It's time. We don't want to wait another year. We don't want to wait another day. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day we call them in. Fishes and a whole load of fish. Come, come to the seashore. Come, come, come and find your God. Find your Savior. We call them in. We put, we cast out our nets right now in the spirit. In the name of Jesus, prophetically, I cast out my net. And I, I dip it in that water. And I say, come up and come and meet your Savior. Savior, in the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. So I bless you to be bold for the lamb. I bless you to go into the marketplace. I bless you with the boldness of the Lord to rise up inside of you. That when you go to work, that you're not going to hold back. When you go to school, that you're not going to be ashamed anymore. But that you're going to proclaim the word of the Lord with boldness and authority and power and fire from this day on in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what I have here is called matzah. And if you didn't eat the green yet, you can go ahead. What's going on back there? So this is called in Hebrew matzah. And this doesn't look like wonder bread, right? It looks different than the normal bread you buy. All of you, you should have some matzah. And the difference is that this is flat because it doesn't have any yeast in it. Now, why did God tell the Jewish people to make bread without yeast in it? I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. It says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. See, God's not interested in bread. This bread is a picture of our lives. And bread, yeast is a picture of sin and bitterness and pride. Why? Because all it takes is a little bit and it begins to affect every part of you. Let me give you an example. All it takes is someone just every once in a while to go on the internet and look at pornography. Just once in a while. And, but you know what it will do? It begins to affect every area of your life. It begins to affect those around you, your children. So, so Passover is a time of reflection to ask God, search my heart. That if there's any way I'm not pleasing to you, God, change my heart. But there's also another significance to this bread. You see, it's perfectly flat, which means it's talking about a life without sin at all. I don't know about you, but I, that's not me. I fail many times. The last time was probably today sometime. But there was one who lived a life without sin. And that's why Jesus is called the bread of life. So if you'll just look at it, you could see, first of all, it's flat. It's made without yeast, which gives us a picture of Jesus as being sinless. You also see stripes. Do you see the stripes on it? 
Look at the one you got in your plate. Do you see the stripes? The Bible says that Jesus had stripes on his back. He was whipped. Do you see the holes where it's pierced? Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. Do you see the burn marks? The burn marks represents the judgment of God against sin that came upon Jesus. The wrath of God against sin. So this is, a, this is a picture of Jesus. And here's what the Jewish people do in the, in the Seder. They take the three matzahs, which they say represents the, the priests, the high priests, and the Israelites. But you know what I believe? I believe it represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because they take out the middle matzah representing, I believe, Jesus, the Son of God, and they break it. Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus' body was broken for us? And they take it. And they take a white napkin. And they wrap it up in the napkin. You know what that's a picture of? When Jesus was wrapped up in grave clothes. And then they take this napkin and they hide it, representing the burial of Jesus. And at the end, they play a game with the kids where whoever finds the, the matzah wins the prize. Well, it's the same thing today. If you don't know Jesus and you find him, you get the prize of eternal life. So it's a picture of his death, his burial, and when it, when it comes out, a picture of his resurrection because he's not dead, he's alive. So um, who's supposed to help me today with this game? No, not one of the kids. Oh, here we go. All the kids, this is for 12 and under. Close your eyes because we're going to do a game. And we're going to play hide the matzah. And at the end of the service, all the kids are going to look for the hidden matzah, and whoever finds it will win the prize. So now what I'm going to do, no, uh, no peeking, right? Nobody peeked? I'm going to ask you to take your cup again because we're up now to the second cup of the Passover. The second cup of the Passover is called the cup of judgment. Why is it called the cup of judgment? Because here's what happened back in the days of the Passover. The Jewish people, as I said, the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And they cried out to God to send a Savior. And God raised up a man named Moses. And he told Moses, go to the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and you tell him, 
let my people go. And what did the Pharaoh say, do you think? He said, no. And he wouldn't change his mind. So what God did was he brought ten judgments or plagues against the Egyptians. That's never his heart. It's never God's heart to bring judgment or destruction. See, God is loving. God is graceful. But he is also the righteous and holy judge. And his people were in trouble. If you're a child of God, God will do whatever it takes to help you. He will fight those who fight against you. And God fought against the Egyptians with ten plagues or judgments. One of, one of the judgments was that he caused it to be dark out 24 hours a day so people couldn't see anything. Another judgment was he turned all the water into blood so they couldn't drink it. Another judgment was grasshoppers. There were grasshoppers everywhere in people's beds and their food. And God was doing these judgments. And still the king would not let God's people go. So it took those ten judgments before finally the king, he changed his mind and let God's people go into freedom. And that's why this second cup is called the cup of judgment. It represents God's anger against sin. God's wrath and judgment poured out on sinners, on those who rebel against him. And that's what this cup represents. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took this cup representing God's anger against sin, his wrath against sin, his judgment poured out on sin. And Jesus took the cup and he said, Father, if there's any other way that I don't have to take this judgment, this wrath and anger upon myself, then let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And on the cross, Jesus took on himself all God's wrath, all God's anger, everything that we deserve as sinners, God, Jesus took upon himself. And see, the Bible says that the God can't even look at sin. And as Jesus hung on the cross, his father turned his head away. He couldn't even look at him because Jesus became sin for us. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? He hung on the cross and took all the wrath and judgment that we deserve so we never have to suffer judgment, so that we can be free. You know what that means tonight? God is not angry at you. He loves you. You, you. you are his child because Jesus took on himself everything that we deserve, everything that stood between us and God. 
Jesus took the punishment on himself so that we can be free. So we're not going to drink this second cup tonight because Jesus drank it for us. You never have to walk in God's anger and condemnation. There is no condemnation on you. The wrath of God is not for you because Jesus drank the cup and took it on himself. So the next part, I'm going to ask for Lee is going to come and help me. This is the nasty part of the whole thing, right, Jessica? She still remembers from years ago. One of the questions that Ashton asked was on all other nights, we can eat any kind of herbs. You can eat oregano, thyme, any of those herbs. But on this night, we eat bitter herbs. We have, you have in your plate what's called horseradish, nasty-tasting stuff. And it represents the bitterness of slavery. When the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt, life was bitter. Life was hard. Life was torment. But God set them free. And he, he, he said, through all generations... I want you to still taste those bitter herbs so you remember what slavery tastes like. And as Christians, we need to do that sometime, to remember what life was like without Jesus. So, so many of us wouldn't desire to go back out again. I know so many people who used to worship God. They used to love God, and they're not here. They're out clubbing somewhere tonight. Why? Because they decided to go back to Egypt. They forgot what it was like. And Jesus, the night before he died, he took the bread. He dipped it into the horseradish, the nasty tasting stuff. And he said, the one whose hand I dip with into the horseradish, into this bitter herbs, is the one who will betray me. He dipped him and Judas dipped their hands in, and that shows that Jesus took bitterness so that you don't have to. So Lee is going to come and share more. Bitterness, a negative emotion or attitude similar to being jaded, cynical, or otherwise negatively affected by an experience. The dictionary also says that bitterness is a result a result from or expressive of severe grief, anguish, or disappointment. I had a betrayer once, and that betrayer was my mother. And when Pastor Gary asked me to share on bitterness, it didn't take but more than maybe two minutes for me to know exactly what I wanted to share with you. Because the greatest bitterness that I ever received in my entire life was the rejection of my adopted mother. Many of you in this room know my testimony, and some of you do not, and I'll give you the short synopsis of it. I was born in Colombia in South America. I was sold into this country. I was adopted by a Jewish family. I was raised a Jew, and then at 15 years old, because my adopted mother severely physically abused me, I was put into the foster care system. They gave up all parental right of me through the courts, and I became a ward of New York State. 
I, and I suffered and I was tormented by rejection and I was, I was tormented by being orphaned again by my adopted mother and it wasn't so much the abuse that made me bitter but there was, there was this betrayer in my life, this woman who was supposed to have nurtured me and told me that she loved me and, and, and made me feel you know, beautiful as a little girl when really in reality all she did was the very, very opposite of that. And I'm not going to go into the gross detail of the sort of abuse and the sort of reject, rejection that she imposed on my life, but what I will tell you was that, like I said, it was tormenting. And I remember when I would, when they would let me go back to my old neighborhood and I would be around my parents' house. My mother didn't want anything to do with me. She would never come visit me in the foster, at the foster care agency. And I remember I wanted so much vengeance because this bitterness that was in my heart, it was like eroding everything in my soul. And I, I, I wanted to get back at her somehow. I wanted her to know that she could never win. But see, this was before Jesus. So I was trying to do it in my flesh. So anytime I would get near her or I would get near her house, I would take rocks and I would throw it trying to hope, hope that I would break the glass window and she would call the cops and you know then I would just call her even though I knew she would curse me out on the phone she didn't want me calling her home but you know any attempt to sort of torment her back because I wasn't going to let her get away with what she had done to me and I can't tell you what this torment was like. Every night going to bed knowing that you are unwanted. Every night in a, going to bed Every couple months in a different home, you know, thinking to yourself, oh my God, if this woman just would have loved me, I could be sleeping in my own bed. I could still be in my own home with my own sibling, with my own father, with my own mother. And so when I came to Jesus, this was the very first thing that he touched in my life was this torment. This flood of just, I, I, I can't, I'm at a loss when I think about my experience of salvation, but it was like liquid warm love just sort of warm. It was warm. And all I ever knew was the cold bitterness of life and experience from, like I said, the one woman who was supposed to be that warmth for me in my life as a child. Well, anyway, when I came to Jesus, I was still estranged from, estranged from my adopted parents, and I hadn't spoken to them for years. I was estranged from them for 11 years exactly, when all of a sudden my brother called me and he told me that my father was on his deathbed. And he said, you know, you have a choice. You can come and you can make your peace with daddy or, you know, it's up to you, whatever you want to do. And I came and I knew that after 11 years, this was going to be the moment that I would see my mother again. And I didn't, know if, I didn't know if I was ready for it, but I saw her. And I made my peace with my father and God gave me peace with him. And two days after I saw him, after 11 years of not seeing him, two days after I made my peace and ministered salvation to him, to him the Lord took him. Two days. A couple days, a couple, rather, let me say a couple months later, the Lord spoke to me. I had, I had been talking to my adopted mother again, and I heard the Lord say, I want you to go forgive her. I want you to go to her and say that you're sorry. And I looked at, I, I mean, like, I looked at God like, you, you're crazy. How could you possibly, this betrayer, this woman who put the deepest torment and bitter in my life, bitterness in my life, and you want me to go say sorry? Well, I prayed and I fasted because it was the hardest thing, the most challenging thing that God ever asked for me to do. But I got on my face before the Lord, and I'll never forget the day that I went to her. And I said, can I talk to you for a second? And she was like, okay. She still sort of carried this very negative air about her. 
And I said, listen, I want to I tell you something. And when I was a teenager, I was very mean. Once I became of age to sort of fight back physically and talk back verbally, I did it, and I did it to the most gross extent. And I said to her, you know what? I, I want to ask for your forgiveness. And she was, the look of confusion on her face, I'll never forget. And I said, I want, I want you to forgive me. Because when I was a teenager, I dishonored you as my mother. There, I was hurt. And the only thing I said in regard to what she did to me was I just said I was hurt. And I'm sorry for how I treated you. And again, the, the, the look of confusion. And she, just, she quickly changed the subject because she couldn't be connected emotionally. But it was okay. Because that moment wasn't for her to say she was sorry to me. But that was the moment that God freed me from every ounce of residue of bitterness in my spirit. And all the bitterness that I carried that was even preventing me from being a good mother or a better mother to my children, God released me from that day. And he said, you're no longer a slave to that bitterness. You're no longer a slave to that torment. But you're free because you've forgiven. And we are free because we are forgiven. Amen? Amen. See, so Jesus took the, the matzah and he tasted of the bitter herbs. And he took that bitterness on himself so that we can be free. He bore your, every horrible thing that's happened to you. Jesus took the pain on himself so that you can be emotionally healed in every area of your life and that we will never be tempted to go back into the world. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take the matzah just like Jesus did. Dip it into the bitter herb, the horseradish, and just taste it. And as you do, just make a decision. You're never going to go back to that place of bitterness. And as you're doing it, Lee is just going to pray over you. Lord, I just ask you right now that you would just empower and strengthen your people tonight. That you would just release forgiveness in the hearts of every single person sitting in this room. That as they, they dip their matzah into the horseradish, Lord, that they would be reminded, Lord, maybe of, of the person that they're holding, holding bitterness against, that they're holding a grudge against. Lord, I just declare right now in Jesus' name that the same way that you freed me, let them be free tonight. Let them be free by the power of your forgiveness and by them releasing forgiveness upon those people. And even if you could just think of that person right now, Whatever person hurt you, whatever circumstance scarred you, whatever caused you to be broken. And if you could just release it tonight, just release that to Jesus. Just in your heart, just say, Lord, I give this person to you. This is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice that I make to be free tonight. Lord, I just ask for your anointing even in this hour. Set your people free so they might walk free in the calling that you've called them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So what I'm going to do now is tell some of the story of the Passover. So I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 12. 
And, and the part of the story I'm at right now was that God had already poured out nine plagues or judgments against the Egyptians. Remember what I said? One time he made it all dark. Another time he killed all their cattle and their livestock. And still they refused to listen to God. So God said, I'm going to do one last judgment against the Egyptians so that they will free my people. God said, I'm going to come down from heaven and I'm going to go to every household and I'm going to kill the firstborn son of every household. But see, God's people were never appointed to suffer the anger and wrath of God. So God had a plan for his people, the Israelites. And here's what God's plan was to save them. So Exodus chapter 12, 12 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So here's what happened. God said, I'm going to come and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill the firstborn son of every Egyptian household, but I have a plan to save my people. So here's what he told the Israelites. He said, every family to take a lamb to sacrifice. It had to be a perfect lamb with no defect, no sickness to sacrifice. And he said, if you've got a lamb and your neighbor doesn't have money to buy a lamb, then you share your lamb with them. See, that's what evangelism is. If you got the lamb of God in your home and your neighbor doesn't, then you need to share them. So God said, take that lamb and, and hold it until the 14th day of the first month of the year. That's the Hebrew month of Nisan, which we're in now. And God said, to take that lamb, that perfect lamb, on the first 14th day of the first month at twilight, in between light and dark, and to sacrifice that lamb as an offering, as a substitute for your sin. Well, about 2,000 years later, Jesus 
died on the cross when on the 14th day of the first Hebrew month at twilight. He was the perfect lamb. He was sinless. And he became the lamb of God to take away our sin. He took away the sins of the Israelites. And then God said to take the blood of the lamb so this, and put it on the tops and the, and the sides, the doorposts. So the, here's what they did. They took the, the plant. They dipped it into the blood and they stained the wood. They, they, they put it on the sides and the tops of the doorposts. What, what sign did they make when they did that? The sign of the cross. It was a picture of the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. Verse 12, on that same day I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God says, I'm coming down. He wasn't coming down as the lover. He wasn't coming down in his grace. He was coming down as the righteous judge to bring judgment. And he said, I'm coming down and I'm going to come to every house. But when I come, if I see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over you. That's why this holiday is called Passover. And no destruction will come to you. No judgment will come to you. Well, that was good for them thousands of years ago. What about now? Well, the Bible says there's judgment coming again to the earth. But when judgment comes, when God comes, and he comes to you, and he sees that you've got Jesus in your heart, if he sees you've got the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, on the doorposts of your heart, if he sees that you love his Son, he will not bring judgment over your life, he will pass over you. You know what that means? That a thousand can fall at your right side and 10,000 at your right hand, it will not come near you. It means you don't have to fear the sickness and the plague. You don't have to fear the arrow that flies by day or the terror of the night because there are angels encamped all around you protecting you. Why? Because of the blood, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus when God sees it, there is no anger for you. There's no wrath. There's no destruction on you. It doesn't matter what goes on around you. Sometimes I get these emails from these people that say they're prophets saying, Oh, the Lord's showing me don't go into the subways. There's bad things coming. I don't care what they say. I got the blood of the Lamb, and I go wherever God tells me to go because he walks with me. 
not because of who I am, but because of who he is. I'm going to read one more scripture, Genesis chapter 22. This is about a man named Abraham. And Abraham had waited 25 years for a son that God promised him. But you know what God did? One day God decided to test him to see if he loved his son more than he loved God. So Genesis 22 verse 1. Sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So God told Abraham as a test to take his only son, the one he loved, the one he was promised, and sacrifice him as an offering to God. And Abraham loved God so much that he chose to obey him. And it says they went and they took the wood and the knife for the sacrifice. And then they came to the to the mountain, Mount Moriah. And they told, Abraham told the servants, you stay here with the donkeys because me and my son, we're going to worship God. Why did he tell them to stay with the donkeys? Because most people don't understand worship when it costs you something. It's easy to worship God with singing and when everything's going good, but when God tells you, to do something that you're going to pay a price, some, some, something that really costs you, to love an unlovable person, to stay in a difficult marriage, to not give up on a church. Sometimes serving God, there's a cost, and most people will try to talk you out of it. So Abraham said, you stay here with the donkeys because you don't understand the kind of worship that I understand. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
I'm going to go down to verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So Abraham went to sacrifice his son, a father, a loving father willing to give up his son that he loved. And here, here was his son carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. Does that give you a picture of something in the New Testament? It's a picture of God the Father being willing to give up his son that he loved. How many of you would be willing to do that? God is so loving. He, he wasn't willing to spend eternity without you. He said, I'll do whatever it takes. If it costs me my son, I'll give up my son. I'll give up everything. Because he looked ahead in the future and he saw you and he just loves you so much that he said it's worth it. It's worth it to give up my son just for you. And the son, Isaac, carried the wood. He was willing to go. Wasn't Jesus? Didn't he carry the cross, the wood to his own death? He was willing he was willing just for you. If it was only you, he would have done it. That's, that's how much, how passionate he is about you. And Isaac asked, I see the knife for the sacrifice. I see the wood, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. You know what that is in Hebrew? God will provide Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. And then it said that even after all this happened, after the whole Bible was being written, that place was still called the Lord will provide because God was yet to provide the lamb. And 2,000 years later, God provided the sacrifice. He provided that perfect lamb. When Jesus came and John the Baptist looked at him and he said, Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And 2,000 years later on that same place where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, because that place, Mount Moriah, it later changed the name and was called Mount Calvary. In that same place, Jesus died on the cross and became the perfect lamb, the sacrifice, and his blood washes you clean takes away all of your past, all of your sin. There's a new beginning for you tonight. So I'm going to ask you now to take the matzah. You should have a second piece if you didn't get hungry and eat it. <laughs> if you did eat it, ask the person next to you to break off a piece of theirs. Jasmine, grow up already, will you? Don't eat her matzah. Remember, this matzah represents who? Represents Jesus. Why? Remember, it's made without yeast, sinless. 
the stripes. Jesus was whipped. There were stripes on his back, and by those stripes, you are healed. It's pierced. Do you see the holes? Wasn't Jesus' hands and his feet pierced? Do you see the burn marks? Jesus took the judgment of sin against him. And Jesus took this bread and he broke it. And this is where communion came in. And he said, this is my body. This piece of matzah bread symbolizes my broken body. And he says, until I come, this is what communion is. I want you to take Eat this matzah, eat this bread, to remember the sacrifice, to remember what it cost me, but also to remember the benefit. See, there's life and healing in, the, in, in this bread, in Jesus, because he is the bread of life. So, Father, we just thank you today for the broken body of Jesus. We thank you, and, and I, I just release life over every person here, over every family, resurrection power, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's partake of, of the bread of the communion. I'm going to ask you now to take the second cup. The third cup. Don't drink it yet. See, I caught some of you. <laughs> this third cup is the cup that Jesus used to give us communion. And the third cup was called the cup of redemption. What does redemption mean? And back in the old times, if somebody was in slavery, you could pay a price to buy them back. Well, that's what Jesus did for you. He paid the price of his own life to buy you back so that you can belong to him, so that you can be free. And that's what redemption means. This cup to the Jewish people represents the blood of the lamb that was slain, that, that brought redemption, that saved the Jewish people. And Jesus took this cup, the cup of redemption. See, redemption means more than also than just buying you back. You know what it means also? Redemption means to restore the value of something. You know what that means? That because Jesus paid the price and redeemed you, you are valuable in his sight. You are precious. Your identity is that you are beautiful. Your identity has nothing to do with your past. In the eyes of God, you are a treasure to him. That's what it means, redemption. He chose you. And he took this cup, the cup of redemption, and he said, the night before he died, Jesus took the cup. He says, take this cup until I come in remembrance of me, representing the blood of Jesus. See, there's power in the blood. 
There's forgiveness in the blood. There's new beginnings in the blood. There's healing in the blood. There's freedom in the blood. So, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, that washes away all our past, all our failings, all our ugliness is washed away by the blood. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the communion. So we're almost done. I wanted to show you a few other things they got up here that they have in the Passover. They use a boiled egg. Why an egg? Because an egg is a picture of new life. When God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, he gave them new life. They were born again as a nation. Well, how much more when you receive Jesus, you are born again. You get the chance to start all over. New life for you. And they also have a lamb bone. A dried up bone. Why? Because back in Jesus' day, they had a place called the temple where they would sacrifice lambs for the forgiveness of sin. We don't do that anymore. We don't sacrifice animals. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And his blood was enough to cover every sin. You see, all the Jewish people have today is a memory of a dried up bone. But we have more. We have a Savior because he died on the cross. But on the third day, he came back from the grave. And he is alive. And he is here. He is here to save you, to help you. He is your healer, your deliverer, your lover. He's, his name is I Am. Why? Because he is whatever you need him to be. We don't have a dried up bone wait, waiting for a new temple to be built. We have a Savior once and for all, the Lamb of God. And see, there's, there's one more cup. And this one you could drink whatever's left if you didn't already. <laughs> Jessica's is down to bare bones over there. Come on. <laughs> And this fourth cup is called the cup of the kingdom. Because the Jewish people are waiting for their Savior to come, for their Messiah to come and save them. But we know that the Savior has already come. But see, their eyes have been blinded, the Jewish people. Even though there are many Jewish people like me that... that recognize Jesus. But this fourth cup is called the cup of the kingdom. And it's about the future. Because one day Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to set up his kingdom. And he's going to rule and reign from this earth. And we're going to rule and reign with him. And we'll be with him. And this cup of the kingdom looks forward to that time. But you see, 
Jesus didn't drink this last cup. You know what he said? He said, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until I drink it together with you in my Father's house. You see, one day, with the shout of the angel and the blast of the trumpet, the Bible says all those Christians who ever lived, all your family members who have passed on, will rise from the dead. And every one of us who are still alive will be caught up in the air and we'll be with him together in heaven. And there's going to be a Holy Ghost celebration. And it's a wedding party. And we're going to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus, the bridegroom. And Jesus says, I'm not going to drink this until I drink it together with you. But by faith, let's look forward to that day when we're together with him forever and ever. No more death. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more tears. Let's just drink in looking forward to that time. So we're going to do one more thing before we, before we set the kids loose to tear the place up to looking for the prize. So there's one last thing. The Bible says that at the Last Supper, the last thing that they did before they went home is they sang a song. So I asked Stephanie, she's going to come, and she's going to sing a song that's going to celebrate the marriage supper and your identity as the bride of Christ.
Here's the last thing we're going to do. I'm going to ask all of the kids who are 12 and under to come to the front. Oh, if you're 13 and you act like a little kid, you could also come. Okay, I have a prize for whoever finds the hidden matzo. Are you ready? On your mark, get set, go! Apparently, they all peaked. They all knew it was back to Get the prize, and if anyone else finds Jesus tonight, you get you get even a better prize. Oh, thank you. So, Father, we thank you tonight, Lord God. We thank you, and I just release a Passover blessing over every life right now. New beginnings, freedom, healing, deliverance. And Father, we thank you, oh God. 
and we just honor your holy name. On this night, we acknowledge your death upon the cross. And we take joy in all that you've done for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.